Thanks, Dave. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. If you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 13, I'd appreciate that. Psalm 13. We are in the summer of Psalms, and we are going to just keep on busting through for many, many summers to come. So it's kind of exciting. Psalm 13. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you, and uh, we'd love for you to follow along. And of course, to, to write in your Bible if you if you are so inclined. If you're not, that's fine. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can take one of those in front of you and, and take it home as a gift. Um, psalm 13. You know, so this psalm is, is an interesting one. I really enjoyed last week, and it's really been convict, convicting me through Psalm 12. But, but going from that psalm to this one, there's a, a pretty neat progression that we're going to find today that moves us from a place of anxiety to a place of praise. So as we look at this, you know, you and I can see ourselves in this psalm. And, and, and that's true of many of, of the psalms of David. When you end up looking at it, you say, you know, this, this looks like me. I, I've been here this is me right now. I don't know how many people or how many times I myself have read a psalm or heard a sermon about it, and I'm like, that is all about what's going on in my life right now. Um, it, really interesting that. But what's interesting was as, we, as this psalm starts in Psalm 13, it, it starts off, off with some pretty heavy anxiety, some pretty heavy fear, some pretty heavy sorrow, uh, some, some unknowns for David. And, and like David, you and I are, tend to kind of have that be our go-to response, right? That's kind of the first thing we can go to when we get angry or excited or, or afraid. We kind of back ourselves into a corner and, and put our dukes up ready to fight, don't we? We get angry. And, and so we're going to see the progression that David makes through that and, and what that looks like. And hopefully you and I can see that as well and not be tempted to stop too early before we get to that place of confidence in God and praise in God. You know, it becomes uh, doubt and fear become those knee-jerk reactions uh, and that's not what we want to see. So we're going to see that today in, in, in King David. One of the things about uh, David's Psalms, uh, and, and I read this week, uh, Charles Spurgeon has great commentaries on the Psalms, and I actually use those to prepare as well. But this is what he quoted as saying. He said, uh, this is Spurgeon saying, he said, whenever you look into David's Psalms, you will somewhere or another see yourself, right? You never get into a corner, but you find David in that corner. I, I think that I was never so low that I could not find that David was lower. And I never climbed so high that I could not find that David was above me. Really interesting as Spurgeon notes that. You, you see this extremely well in the Psalms. If you look at David's positions and his emotional posture and status, uh, there are times that he is in a dark, dark, dark place, in a deeply dark place. Not saying that we couldn't be there, but, but man, when we see some of these places, we're like, you know, I'm not quite backed into that corner that far as he was, or the pressure he was feeling, especially if you put it in the context of his life as king and what was going on in the country around him. And then there's times where it's just like, wow, how, how do you praise so well? How do, you, how do you lift up God so high, David? I, I can't even understand how you give so much credit to God, more credit than I could even fathom. And that's what Spurgeon is saying. It's like, wow, there, there's some deep darks that David goes to that I can't even get there. And there's some, some extreme highs of, of confidence and trust and faith in God that I, I aspire to, and we should aspire to that. So today, as we look at Psalm 13, we're going to see that David is overwhelmed with anxiety and worry, and he seems to be kind of sinking, right? And, and we're looking for that stable ground. But by the end of this, of this psalm, uh, we'll, we've seen this, we'll, we will have seen a dramatic turn, a change in David's heart. Uh, and instead of sinking, the psalmist is now going to be singing God's praise. So we're going to look at that in Psalm 13. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get to work in Psalm 13. Father, thank you so much for your graciousness, your love. We thank you that you provided Jesus for us, that you've given us the ultimate grace by, by allowing Christ to, to go to the cross. 
and die in our place. And God, through faith in Christ and the risen Savior, not just a dead Savior, but a risen Savior, we can have real life. We thank you for the hope that, that that brings, the confidence that brings. We thank you for the deliverance that you've offered us through him. And God, today as we look to your word, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive, that you would challenge us, that you would challenge us to change and to be conformed to the image of the Son, that you would convict us of sin, move us to a place of repentance and obedience, that we would cling to you as our, as our only treasure, and we would obey you fully as Father and God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if you turn there, if, you, if you're not, uh, Psalm 13. Um, and then we're going to try something a little bit new on, uh, on the screen behind us. I'll show you that in a minute. But Psalm 13, we're going to read the whole thing, and then we'll break it apart, okay? How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. Amen. So that's our passage today, and as we look at this passage, there's, there's a couple different languages that David speaks in this passage. Uh, one is the language of anxiety, and that's what we're going to look at first. It's got, and as we look at these languages, they're not only just like a language, but kind of a posture of his heart. And you and I can get to that same place where the posture of our heart speaks something, says something. And, and I think we're going to find all of ourselves uh, in, in one of these places, maybe, maybe been there multiple times. But we want to see the progression that David makes as we go through. So we're going to look at, uh, at this psalm, Psalm 13, and look at these, these different languages. Number one is the language of anxiety. Now I'm going to try to put this up on the screen behind me, if I can figure it out. I think we've got this. I'm not going to say we got it down, but, but it's close. All right, I'm going to cast that to the device right there. Have you seen anything yet? Google? Awesome. Look at this. There we go. There we go. So here's the deal. I, I, I learn well when I watch, watch someone make connections in Scripture. And, and it's my, part of my job and role is to help you make those connections. So I'm going to try to do that today, at least, with a pen and paper and help you see how these things connect to each other and so that we can, we can contextualize Scripture better and maybe hide it in our heart a little better. Now, I am one of those guys who, who reads through a scripture. Like when I study for a, a passage, I'll read through and I'll, I'll circle or I'll underline or I'll highlight certain things that, are, that stand out to me that seem important, like big main objects, main, main points. Uh, then when I put my sermon together, I print out a note, notes like this. And on my notes, I handwrite a lot of stuff. So I, I scribble all over these things. And all of my passages, you'll see, are circled and squared and underlined and, and dotted and, and, and circled again. So I'm going to try to not overwhelm you too much with that on this, but I want you to see kind of some of the thoughts and the tracks that, that I've taken and that God has, God has revealed as, as we, he teaches this to us, okay? So we're going to break this passage down. Point number one uh, is the language of anxiety. And there's four different things we see kind of verbalized in this language of anxiety or this posture of anxiety. Think about yourself. As we go through this, think about what you would verbalize to God when you're anxious or scared, okay? Look what he says here. He says, what? He says, how long, right? How long? And this is so, so much a reaction. This is usually a knee-jerk reaction. And here's what it's saying is, I'm not ready for this. I'm ready for the, the end. I'm ready for this to be over. I want this to be fixed and resolved, all hunky-dory. I want the happily ever after. Right? That's what we want. We want it to be over. 
But so often, those stories, and we're going to see in a few minutes, I'll tell you a couple. So often, those stories, the, the journey was what was really important, that, that faith during the journey. So David here is saying, how long, Lord? And so he says, how long? And he says, who? How long, Lord? He's, he's attributing guilt or he's attributing blame to God. Saying, Lord, this is your fault, and what are you doing? How long will you forget me forever? He feels pretty alone, doesn't he? He feels pretty alone. How long will you forget me forever? So part of this, this anxiety, this language of anxiety, uh, tends to blame God for forgetting. God, don't, don't you remember me? Don't you remember what I'm going through? And I really want you to look at this too. You see the word long, the, how long. I, it really is, a, it's subtle and maybe I'm out of, out of order here. And, but I really feel this from last week to this week. When you look at uh, chapter 12 and you see this longing that God requires from us, that, that he wants us to pant, really pant for him. How, when we say how long, what is that? That's really a longing in us for it to be over. For our pain to end or for our anxiety to be gone or our fears to be dispelled. We want to move forward so we're longing for that. So that's good. That's a good thing. We want to long for something, but God says we need to long for him. So he says, how long, Lord, will you forget me? So there's a forgetful God somewhere in the midst here, right? And then the next, next thing, uh, well, he says, uh, how long? There's the next part. How long, right, will what? Who, who's still blaming? God, you, right? These are together. How long will you, God, hide your face from me? You, you forgot me. And now you're hiding your face from me. It's like you don't care anymore. So I, here's a couple little, little stories to help us with this. Um, especially for me as a parent with young kids, we're, we're driving on our trip, our, our vacation, family vacation to Montana, right? And we're about, oh, you know, really a long ways into the trip, like 30 minutes. And what do my kids say? Are we there yet? What do they say? They say, how long, Daddy? How long? Which is interesting because the time before that we took a trip, they said the same thing, but when the trip was over, and from that trip since, they can't stop talking about the trip. How fun it was, and what they saw, and the semis that they saw, and the colors they saw, and the animals they saw, and the places we stopped for lunch, the places we played, the places we experienced, right? They're, they're all about the trip. They're all excited about the trip. But when you're in the middle of the trip, what do you want it to be? Over. I want it to be done. But there's something to be said about the journey, isn't there? There's something to be said about the trip. Listen, if I was to ask you, hey, tell me your story of how you met your spouse and what that was like and how you fell in love and got, and got married. And if you were to tell me, we met and got married. I would be disappointed, wouldn't I? I'm not looking for the end game here. I know that you met and got married. Obviously, the story has come to that happily almost ever after, right? But back up, I want, what do I want to know? I want to know the details. I want to know the love story. I want to see the chick flick. I want to know how you fell in love and overcame. Why? Because the journey matters, doesn't it? The story matters. And if you, if you would think about that with your own spouse, and, and I, I understand there are highs and there are lows, aren't there? There are tough times. There are things in your story you're like, I just want to cross this out, delete it, erase it. But it's part of the journey. It's part of what brought you where you are today. So we tell the story. We embrace the story. We embrace the journey that we're on. David is in this corner saying, I don't want to be a part of this journey. I don't want to feel this way anymore. I just want it to be over. Now, for a lot of us, we stop right here. I'll put a little stop there, right? We, we don't go further. Do not go down there, right? No going down there. We stop. And we just are sad. 
and we're fearful and we're in a corner and we stay there mad at God. It's not appropriate. It's not, the story's not over. God's still trying to do something here. And, and so let's see where David goes from here. Because he's still even in this, in this, this language of anxiety, this posture of anxiety. He's still anxious in 2 and 3. Uh, in verse 2, look what he says in verse 2 here. He says again, his question is what? Are we there yet? How long will... He changes something here, doesn't he? How long will I... You see what he's doing? Something's, something's stirring in his heart. Something's happening in David. How long will I store up anxious concerns? Other translations, and, and to really translate this means, uh, how shall I take counsel in my own soul? How, how, I, I'm, I'm thinking about things way too much. I'm trying to figure it out on my own, is what he's doing. He's just mulling it over and over and over again. And that, so now he's seeing it. It's like, this is what I'm doing. It's not just that I'm mad at God. I have to move on and say, I, I am causing an error here. I'm causing a problem. I'm storing up anxious concerns within me, and, and that is connected there to agony. These anxious concerns are connected to this agony in my mind every day. It's a hard place to be. It's great to acknowledge and say, you know what? Maybe I'm the culprit here. Maybe I'm just overthinking this. Maybe I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving this up as, as I, like I should. And, and that could be it. I want to read a couple passages. Actually, uh, turn to Isaiah 49, if you would, with me. Uh, before you get there, I'm going to read Job chapter 29. And, and this is Job, and, and Job is under pressure and stress and fear, and, and he's anxious about things because God is not, his relationship with God is not what it, what it was, and God's allowed Satan to come in and, and kind of mess some things up in there. But God's still not far off, but, but he feels this. He feels this pressure. So you're turning to Isaiah 49. In Job 29, it says this. Job says, if only... I could be uh, as, as in months gone by. If only I could be as, as it was in months gone by in the days when God watched over me. You see that feeling? That's the same feeling David has. Like, I just want that feeling that God is right there watching. What he's really saying is, I wish he was just holding my hand again, taking care of everything I needed to have taken care of. He says, when, my lamp uh, when his lamp shone above my head and I walked through darkness by his light. That's, that's a great relationship. That's a great way to look at a relationship with God. And that's what, that's what Job's longing for. That's what David is longing for. Now, here in Isaiah chapter 49, let's look at verses 14 through 16 together. It, does God really forget? So it says, Zion says, The Lord has abandoned me. The Lord has forgotten me. Oh, what's the response? Let's see what it says. Can a woman forget her nursing child or lack compassion for the child of her womb? Well, the answer actually to that is sometimes, right? That actually occurs. So, so what, what does he say? Even if these forget, yet I will not forget you. Look, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Isn't that amazing how God does not forget? It was interesting, the first service, I didn't mention it because it was kind of personal at that time of the story. I, I, I talking to a couple, and I've tried to hang on to their names. I try, I try the best I can to remember names. It's tough sometimes. So I'm like, you're, and I, I didn't get her name. And she's like, oh yeah, you just, you need to do this. I'm like, yeah, I should just write it. And it's, it's funny because this verse today, right? It's like, I need to write their names on my hand. So if you ever like look and see, I'm like, hey, how you doing, Joe? <laughs> right? Actually, there's nothing there. But, but God's like, I've got you. I've got this. You, you're scribed down. It's written. I'm not going to forget you. I am not going to forget you. Interestingly enough, in the story, you think about Moses in Exodus. Um, go ahead and flip to ex Exodus real quick, chapter 2. 
Genesis and Exodus, right? Second book in the Bible. Um, Genesis, Exodus. You have Moses who is born in the beginning of, of chapter 2. And you have the, the Hebrews who are enslaved in Egypt, right? They're enslaved by the Egyptians and they're forced to do labor and they're, they're not treated well. They're, they're treated very poorly. They're, they're groaning all the time. They're, they would love to be rescued and, and, and rescued from this uh, torture or torment. And so then we see Moses is born in, in the beginning of chapter 2. And Moses is born. What happens? His mom puts him in a basket and what? Sends him down the river. Like they're going to kill all the babies. Let's, let's send him on down. And he's picked up by Pharaoh's household, right? And he, spends his, he grows up in that household. He's part of the household. He's a, he's a, a big shot in this. And, and eventually he comes to a place where he, he kills someone. He has to get out of the area. And then God speaks to him, right? He's in the fields and God speaks to him through the burning bush. And basically saying what? Go get my people from Pharaoh. But I want you to think about that journey. Because here, here's what Exodus says, 20, chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. It says, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob, and God saw the, the Israelites. God knew. It's a beautiful passage. But, but here's what it's lacking. It's lacking the context of the groaning. God heard their groaning. How long had they groaned? You know, we, we think like, man, it's, uh, they're groaning and, and, and God's going to rescue them right now. They had groaned for, for years, years and years. And see, we start with our anxiety and we back ourselves into a corner and say, God, help us, help us, we're groaning because we want the end to be done. What we're, not, what we're saying is, God, I'm not willing to go through the journey. I'm not willing to, to see what you're going to do, to see the greater good that you're going to, to make happen here. The Israelites had to wait. Sometimes we have to wait as well. How long had they groaned? Well, God might hide his face. He will never neglect us. And listen, a hidden face is not a sign of a forgetful God. It's not a sign of a forgetful God. Oftentimes it's a sign of discipline or growth for us. But God has not forgot. And we cry out in this desperate last resort. And that's what we feel. When we cry out, we feel this is this is the it. This, this is the end. It's desperate. It's the last resort. I've, something's got to happen. But instead, we have, to, we have to turn that around and say, let's make prayer. Let's make crying out to God our first instinct, not the last resort. Because when it's our last resort, we feel more desperate. We feel that much closer to being totally consumed. Instead saying, you know what? I need to change this before that. I need to cry out first to God and then wait patiently for God to act. You, you know why? Because the Lord's timing is always perfect. It's never too late. It's never too early. And true faith from you and I, we recall God's faithfulness that he's always had, and we give the Lord time to work. We give the Lord time to work. Think about how many, what is it, some country song, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. I, 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 sometimes I actually thank God for unanswered prayers. Thank you, God, that you did not answer the prayer the way I prayed it, because I would have made a big, big mess of things. But if we can say, you know what, God, I, I feel bad, I'm anxious, I, whatever, but I trust you, I want to hand it over to you, he will take care of it. So you see that he, they, he thinks, this, the psalmist thinks God is far off. He thinks that God has forgotten. And the next part in this verse, and going back to Psalm 13, should be on the board still up there, yep. He says, um, where am I at? Uh, it's, his, it's his own restless thoughts. We talked about that, right? The restless thoughts that he has. Um, it's in my mind every day. I want you to think about, uh, there's a passage, another passage in Psalm 77. You don't have to turn there. Um, and here's what it says. 
This is, this is David speaking again. Same kind of thing. I cry aloud to God. I want you to listen. He, he seems like he does all the right things. I cry aloud to God, um, and, and he, he will never hear me. I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. My hands were continually lifted up all night long. Seems pretty desperate, right? Seems like God's going to hear. Here's what the next verse says. I refused to be comforted. Sound like a sleepless night to you? I refused to be comforted. I think of God, I groan, I meditate, and my spirit becomes weak. Man, stop refusing to be comforted. We back ourselves in that corner, and you notice that the, the, the I, remember how long in verse 2, how long will I store up anxious thoughts? And then it says, in my mind, right? And then how long, the next one goes in, because the enemy is there to, to devour. How long is our question again? Will, and, and I can say, my enemy is there, but also, how, how long will my enemy dominate? This is kind of the, what's happening? Me. And me is the real, I don't know if the object or whatever you call it, I'm not an English teacher, but how long will I allow my em- enemy to dominate me? That's what he's saying. How long am I, am I going to continue to allow my enemy to dominate me? We do that, don't we? And we acknowledge, oh man, there's an enemy. This, this is bad. It's unjust. It's not fair. I'm scared. I'm afraid. I'm, I feel like I'm broken down. I'm, I'm consumed. He says, how long will I allow my enemy to dominate me? See, there needs to be a change in our approach that starts here. And actually, the change started at our block right here, right? It change, change started there. We went forward further from blaming God to going to ourselves and looking at ourselves, saying, what's really going on here? But now right here, in this spot, going forward, there needs to be a change. Something needs to give here. And again, if you stop right here and you just, you just stop and stay in that corner, you will spend many restless, sleepless nights wondering where God is and why he hasn't done anything. Wondering why your enemy is still dominating you. But he goes on. He goes on. It leads us to number two. This next language, the next posture is the posture of prayer. The posture of prayer. Let's see what he says here. He says, consider me and answer. Consider and answer. It's like, God, I, I want you to hear me. I want you to see what's going on, and I want you to act. When, when, I, when I cry out, there should, there should be an action. That's what I'm expecting, some kind of action from you, Lord, my God. And here's what he's wanting. Here's what, here's what he wants. He says, consider me and answer. And this is, his consideration is this. He wants you to consider, please restore brightness to my eyes restore and i love this word restore because it means he had it he knows what it was like to walk in the light he knows what it was like to have god shine down into darkness and say you can follow me i'll lead you into into wherever you need to go and david in that dark corner he's like he's moving out of that saying you know what consider my cry god hear my hear my cry and lord i want the answer to be that your light is enough to direct me that your light will make this bearable. Your light will make this so I can see exactly where I need to take my next step. I may not see the end, but on the journey, I'm going I'm to take the next step because you have restored brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, if you don't do that, otherwise, I will sleep in death. And this goes back up here, right? Where he's restless and just mind's wandering and his, his, it's going everywhere. And he can't sleep. Verse 4. My enemy will say... I have triumphed over him. That's what the enemy wants to say. That's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to triumph over you and triumph over me. 
We can't let that happen. And here's, here's how David gets around that. David identifies and acknowledges that there's two things happening here. There's two forces at work. He says there's a force that is my enemy, right? My enemy is there wanting to triumph over me, and, but the Lord my God is also there, and he will restore brightness in my eyes. There's two things going on, right? We have to understand there are two forces at work. And if you and I just say, man, the enemy has got me today, then you have lost and not clung on to the victory you can have in Jesus. That he wants to lift you out of that prison of fear and doubt and let you sing a new song. He says, if I don't get restored, if I don't get an answer from God to let him, his brightness return, my enemy will say I've triumphed over him and my foes will rejoice because I'm shaken. Which means, which means I will not be shaken if God and when God restores brightness to my eyes. See, when God restores brightness to my eyes, then I can calm down. It's like if you're afraid of the dark, right? When the, when the lights really go out, and my son does this every night, it's like, it's too dark in here. It's, it's like 8 o'clock, the light's still coming through the window. Come on, right? But, but seriously, when you're in the dark, and you are terrified, and even if you shut your eyes for a minute, you get turned around, you don't know which way is which. Earlier, we were praying, we were praying for someone earlier, earlier service, and it was dark because my eyes were closed, right? And I'm, I'm facing this direction, and, and I must have shifted during prayer, and I, I shifted this way, and I opened my eyes, and after prayer, I'm like, oh man, it startled me, right? I, I was afraid, because how did I get turned around? Because I was in the dark. I just wasn't paying attention. Just that little bit of light, though, right? That little bit of light, when it shines, oh, okay, now I can see. Think about that at your, your bedroom at night. You get up, go to the bathroom, or you're walking in, you're trying to navigate the stuff around your whatever. So nice to have a little bit of light, isn't it? So nice. I know you're like me, you use your cell phone, right? The cell phone light, like, oh, yeah, there, okay, there, I'm up here, I'm good, right? Not shaken. You're not shaken when the, you restore brightness back to my eyes. So David knows there's two sides happening here, and, and so for you and I, we, we lack the proper patience sometimes that comes from faith in God. There should be a patience in, in our trust, in our faith in God. God, we're going to be patient. You're going to work. He is active, and he will rise up when he deems necessary. But here's the deal. If, if we want to get to that place where we're not shaken, where our enemies haven't triumphed over us, we cannot leave distress and anxiety to consume us. But instead, we need to cash them in for the grace that God is willing to give us the grace that he's willing to extend to us deep distress and anxiety and fear and doubt they have a great ability to make huge claims on god's grace that god's grace says that's the stuff i cover that's the stuff i take care of i can be there for you it's by his grace that he acts it's by his grace that he shines light into the darkness of our days so the question is what brings us from darkness into light what brings us from sinking sand to unshakable ground? And the answer to that is prayer. This, this section is, is our section on prayer. It's a posture of prayer. He, he prays and cries out to, to the Lord. Now, I, I want you to follow me. I've got it actually down here somewhere, another verse. Philippians 4. We're going to look at this because we usually, we usually start with this verse right here, verse 6. It says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, what? Pray. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. I want us to look at this context a little bit. Again, one of the reasons I have the pen and paper today to show you, I want you to see this connection a little more clearly. So we're going to start uh, up towards the top in verse 2. When Paul is, Paul is making his greeting or making this, the, the plea during this part, he says, I urge you, Yodia, and, and I urge you, Syntyche, 
to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, that's, that's a great description, a like-minded person, to help these women who have contended for the gospel. So there's some great, strong ability to do that. They're not just people backed into a corner all the time, right? Uh, at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers. Here's the, here's the description, right? The rest of my co-workers, uh-oh, what did I do? Whose names are written in the book of life. Okay? He's saying, these people, to you I'm talking to, your names are written in the book of life. Do you know what that means? It means that you have trusted Christ in faith and believe the gospel of your salvation, that you have let the atonement of Christ on the cross cover your sin, and that he has taken you and adopted you as a child of God and clothed you with his righteousness, and now you are in the book, and you are in with him forever. That is something to what? Rejoice about. Rejoice in the Lord. Get that out of there. In the Lord always. Goodness. And I say again, what? rejoice so that you see the context here we're to rejoice over over the god of our salvation that god has done this that god has provided this deliverance for us going on let your graciousness be known to everyone the lord is near then then it goes in don't worry about anything so here's the deal the names are in the book of life it's going to get a little messy here names are in the book of life so what do we do? What's the overflow of that? What, what comes from that? Well, rejoicing comes from that. I say again, rejoicing comes from that. What else comes from that? Graciousness comes from that, right? Knowing that the Lord is near, the promise that the Lord is near. What else comes from that? We don't have to worry about anything. You see the fruit of being secure in our deliverance from Jesus, from our sin? It goes more. It says, but, but in everything, through prayer and petition, let me see if I'll move this, and it will stay. Yep, there it is. In everything, through prayer, prayer, right? What's the key to moving forward? What's the key to not worrying and getting God's peace? It's prayer and petition with what? We, this is a fruit again, thanksgiving. Then he says, present your request to God. How long, Lord? Lord, help me. Whatever it might be. And then what? What does it say? What does it promise? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, we talk about this verse sometimes. People are like, oh, I'm anxious. Well, just pray about it. You'll get over it. It's Scripture. We use the verse. But there's a little more to it, isn't there? There's a heart thing going on that has to happen. There's a joy, a rejoicing, and a thanksgiving, knowing that the Lord is near and that He's delivered us. That's what allows us to go to God and say, God, I can give this to you because I know what you've already done for me. And you're ready to do it again. And knowing that you've already delivered me, I know you can do it again, and I'll I'll trust your timing and that peace that you give me because I trust your timing, that peace will transcend all understanding. It'll guard. It'll guard my heart and my mind, right? Heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So, so important. So important. How do, we, how do we move beyond? My enemies are overwhelming me. You pray earnestly from the gut, from the heart. So many people think, I want the quick fix. Give me a, a step to peace with God. We'll just pray. Well, no, there's more to it than that. The gospel is everything. You and I believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ to be, to be saved from our sin, to be forgiven of our sin, to be delivered from everything that we should have deserved, 
that is our everything. And, and Jesus becomes the treasure that motivates every other good thing out of our heart and that comforts every bad thing. That's what we're talking about. That's what David understands. That's what he knows through this. And that peace that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus will help restore brightness, right? It's going to bring the light back, like David said earlier. Let's go back up there. When we cast our burdens upon God, we find our hearts elevated out of this worry and doubt into the comfort and confidence of worship in God, worship of God. And that leads to the last section. The last section we see, so we, the first section here was a posture of anxiety, right? We saw anxiety. 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 There we go. Okay, anxiety. The next posture was prayer. And we go to the final section here. It's confession. Confession. Sorry. Confession and prayer. Praise. There we go. Number three is confession and praise. Let's see what he, see what he says here. These two here kind of go together. Okay? So, so here, here's the end game right here. Right? My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord. Why? Why? What gets us to that point? Well, look here. I, so here, but I, and now remember this earlier. How long, Lord, how long will I? And he finally resolves after his prayer time with God. He remembers, and what does he say? But I, I have trusted. And this is an emphatic use of this, this text. It is emphatic saying, but I, as for me, I indeed believe this. I have trusted in your what? Your faithful love. Come on, someone, tell me what that is. Hesed. Hesed, right? God's, now it's not Hesed, but that's something else. Hesed. It's God's faithful, loving, enduring, covenantial, providing, grace-filled love for us. Based on, based on his character and his covenant and everything that he's done to keep that covenant for us. That's Hesed. But I will trust it in your Hesed, in your faithful love that, that it continues. It's a continual movement of love from, from forever to forever. Therefore, my heart will rejoice in your deliverance and I will sing to the Lord. Again, another reason. Because, because. Why? He has treated me generously. He has given me deliverance. He's given me, he's treated me bountifully. He's taken care of me wholly, fully. That's who our God is. That's who our God is. That's why we can sing. So yes, what can David, was David back into a corner, depressed and despair and anxious? Absolutely. Have we been? Absolutely. Some of us are still there. Some of us haven't moved beyond. God, why can you not get this together? Why have you forgotten me? Some of us have and said, I know it's probably my fault. It's my problem. I'm thinking too much. I'm I'm not really yielding to, the, to these, my enemy, or I am yielding to my enemy, and you're not moving on to pray and ask God to deliver. God wants us to move through that. Yeah, we're going to get depressed. We're going to get scared. We're going to get anxious. We're going to have sorrow in our lives. But God says, I'm bigger than that, and I'm, I'm willing to give you some light to brighten your, your eyes so you can have that hope and assurance that I'm there. I want to read one more passage, and I've got it down here. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2, goes along really nicely with what we just read uh, in Psalm 13. Indeed, indeed, like this is 
absolutely, totally, I know this to be true. Indeed, emphatically, God is my salvation. God is my salvation. When you're back to a corner, remember, God is my salvation. And what, is it, what does Isaiah go on? It says, I will trust him and not be what? I will trust him and I will not be afraid for the Lord. Uh, I will not be afraid for the Lord. The Lord himself is my strength and my song. When you aren't strong enough, when you can't sing it, guess what? He is and he can he has become my salvation. There's no thing to fear. Right? Not be afraid. Because he has become my salvation. That's what we're talking about. That's what David is talking about. So the psalm ends with David. And I, I love how this... He basically gets there, and if you go back to the, the end of that psalm, <clears throat> he said, at the beginning of the psalm, he said, how long, Lord, will what? You forget me. At the end of this song, he says, but I have what? Trusted in your faithful love. What did David, what's David saying? God, you never forgot. I forgot. I forgot that you are a faithful God, and now... I remember. You don't forget. I don't forget. We all remember that you, God, you are faithful. That you are our salvation. That you have treated us generously. And that's what brings David out of this despair and this sorrow. Because he rebukes what he thought was God's forgetfulness. But he rebukes his own forgetfulness. Remembering God's faithfulness. And again, David's circumstances have not changed. His circumstances have not changed. Same as in the psalm from last week, Psalm 12. We saw this, oh my goodness, what's going on with David? Oh man, God rescues, God rises up. And at the end of it, we saw, wait, everything's still the same. Except what? Except what? His heart. His heart. His heart changed. God changed his heart. God comforted his heart. God ran to his heart to take care of it and tender compassion. God's covenant-keeping, gracious love prompts faith-filled confession to God, crying out to God, and praise. So this complaint that David made in haste, one that we can grab onto, and we make complaints like that in haste, and sometimes we let those complaints made in haste resound for weeks and months and years. But that complaint he made in haste he is now joyfully retracted. And we can see how graciously God has provided for him and taken care of his heart. Don't you know that you and I can confidently praise God for his faithful love because he will do the same. He is there to work for our favor and ultimately his glory. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray together. <clears throat> Lord, we are so thankful that you, you love us. We so, we're so thankful that you have a steadfast, covenantial, enduring love for us. One that has started from the beginning and will endure forever. 
God, one that has proven itself time and time again. God, help us open our eyes, restore the light into our eyes that we might see all that you have done. And God, we would be in awe and in faith, filled with, filled with faith for what you're going to do. God, help us when we're backed into that corner to realize it's not you that you're far from us, God. You are right there. You're ready to work, God. But help our hearts change to this attitude of trust in your timing for our favor and for your glory. We believe that. We know that you're going to do something great. So God, help, help our hearts trust. Help our hearts not be consumed by fear or doubt, but to rise out of that into comfort and contentment in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, as we close, it's an opportunity to respond with